these tools are for you to use. These tools are for you to use. Hello, I'm Dave Marr. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, the podcast where I talk to artists and activists about what happens when we die. And we do it with a smile. This episode, I'm talking to Andrew Saw, one of the most beautifully voiced singers I've ever heard live. He sang a cover of David Bowie's Word on a Wing at a variety show we both performed on. And yeah, I, I rave about that to him in the episode. So you can hear that in just a second. We also talk about owning your artistic identity in introducing yourself to people. And he describes one of the most vivid, beautiful memories in the Relive One Memory section that I can imagine wanting to just plunge into. You can follow Andrew on Instagram at Lonesome Andrew, and he has a couple of shows coming up on August 29th and August 30th, 2020. That is this year. If you're listening to this in the future, congratulations for making it off of Earth and for accessing this ancient art form known as podcasts. So his show on August 29th is the Cosmic Country Showcase. It's a regular showcase that involves a lot of covers of classic country songs. The one on the 30th is called A Day in the Country through the hideout online. Andrew is amazing. He has the voice of an angel. He was a pleasure to talk to. Follow him. Follow me at This Is Dave Marr, Instagram and Twitter. Also, please subscribe to the podcast rate it, review it. Those things do matter for me and for this show. And enjoy this episode with Andrew Saw. So I want to start with like quick intros. And I'm going to give you three scenarios in which you would have to introduce yourself. And I want you to tell me how, how these would differ. So the first one is to a stranger in a ride chair. The second one is to a potential new friend at a party. And the third one is classic biblical pearly gates. You're there and they're trying to figure out which Andrew saw you are. And you have to, you have to talk to St. Peter. Wow. In the era of COVID-19. How, however you take those things, how would you introduce yourself in the ride share? In a ride chair, I always say hello. I attempt eye contact. If they're not looking at me, that's fine. Um, the driver, I will always say hello and thank you for picking me up, much like I want to get on a bus. Um, acknowledge them and thank them. I, I typically don't start a conversation beyond that unless they initiate um, conversation. And I wonder if that's because I call myself shy or if it's like a protective thing. I was watching a film called The Naked Civil Servant, which is about the life of Quentin Crisp. Do you know Quentin no, Crisp? No. He was kind of a gay uh, exhibitionist, radical of the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, in London and he would dye his hair and wear makeup and present himself very feminine, but as a man. 
And um, anyway, the one he was in court and the, he was accused of this and that. And he said, my defense is I would never approach someone and start a conversation, a man in broad daylight dressed the way that I am and start a conversation because I have been, you know, brutalized for less. I've been brutalized for a look. And so I think what I'm going at, where I'm going with that is like, uh, it's a def- I, it could possibly be a defense mechanism for me. And that's probably TMI, but no. I won't initiate a conversation. I typically allow someone else to do that. Okay. What about friend, potential new friend at a party? Smile. Hi, you know, I'm Andrew. Oh, Andrew, um, who are you? What do you, what do you do? Oh, I do a lot of things. Um, I'm a singer, songwriter. I have a, a band. I sing with a couple of bands. I um, embroider my own outfits. I rhinestone my own um, suits. I cook. I do a lot of things. What do you do? What do you? I mean, right. I typically, I, I would typically throw it to them first. It's really hard to talk about being a, an entertainer, you know? That's a hard conversation with a new friend. Yeah, but I mean, it's cool that you even broach talking about being an entertainer. Because there's some people, myself included, in years gone by, who would not even want to mention it or wouldn't feel capable of owning it. If someone says, what do you do? Their first response is what they do for to make money. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. I think, what a shame, right? Like, Oh, of course, yeah. Because typically the thing, if you do two things, one thing to make money and one thing as like a passion, the thing you probably want to talk about more is the passion. But similarly, from a protective angle, I th- it's, it's funny you talk about protecting your identity in a rideshare because I think there that's the reason a lot of people give blanket pat answers to even when you ask them what they do. It's like, oh, I'm a comedian. And you, they don't want to talk about it any more than that. Because if you do talk about it and the other person isn't receptive to it, it feels so vulnerable and gutting to be like, oh, I'm excited to talk about this thing I'm passionate about. And just, it is received with a thud, you know? That, I mean, again, what a shame. You know, how many times did you, how many times do you think you're going to meet a comedian in your life? Like how many times do you think you're me a lot? I feel like a lot. Well, you, well, you, of course. I'm thinking of the other person. Mm. I think that sometimes, you know, believe it or not, I I feel like I I learned this kind of. Is it pride? It's probably pride from RuPaul, where it's like you really have to own what it is you do. If you don't own it, I mean, how is anyone else going? to see it how is anyone else going to know that it exists especially someone that you're just meeting totally i totally agree so pearly gates then what do you say right to saint peter 
Well, okay, I believe it or not, I haven't really thought about that moment. I wonder if that moment will happen, you know, I, hmm. You know, he's saying, listen, we have a million Andrew Saws throughout history. Can you just be a little more specific? Right. I'm the one from California. I'm Bernadine's grandson. Bernadine's grandson, I would say, because she's in there. I would say I'm Laverne Nevis's grandson. I would say I'm Matt Palazzolo's first boyfriend. You should check with all of them. I'm that Andrew saw. These are the most heaven-bound people you you feel like in your life? These, Is that what you're thinking? These are the folks who have passed on to heaven from my life. Okay, gotcha. So I I think St. Peter has met them. They're my references. <laughs> to To backtrack just a second, I think that not wanting to talk about your art the first time you meet someone is like not necessarily being ashamed of it, but not wanting to seem too proud. I was raised Catholic. We were converted later on to Christianity, but in Catholicism, it always felt like you do not want to brag. Well, and I think it is shame. I know you're like shying away from calling it shame, but I think at least functionally, it serves the same purpose as shame. Shame shuts you down. Shame keeps you from owning something, from being productive, hiding, talking about your art. Similarly, keeps you from, there might be ways in which not introducing yourself as whatever thing you're most passionate about gets in your head and stops you from creating that day or that week. Yeah. So my next question is, what do you hope happens when you die? And you talked about converting to Christianity from Catholicism, which I think a lot of people, as someone who grew up evangelical, I understand the the contrast Protestants make between Catholics and Protestants, but what do you mean by converting, so to speak, from Catholicism to Christianity? From something that was, from a relationship with God that was quiet to a relationship with God that was um, you know, I guess, I guess loud, but it's more, it's more of an, it it felt from, it felt instead of going inward as a Catholic, I was going outward as a, an evangelical Christian. Is that what it was? It was evangelical Christianity of some flavor? Yeah, it was a mega church. It was called Jubilee Christian Center. And there was, you know, a period where we were in a smaller building that we were renting, but we raised enough money to get the giant ass building with the two, you know, jumbo projection screens. Mm -hmm. And were you in the like praise and worship band? No, 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 no. Okay. No, no, no. Was there a praise and worship band? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So there were the music pastors and there were the, um, the, there was the, 
the pastor and his wife, who I guess was also a pastor. But the two music pastors who were also a married couple now, they were black, beautiful voices. They just had such a, that was like the only reason I wanted to go to church, to be honest, was the Mm. music service. Okay. They did their own thing with it. It was all very interesting because the sermon, you know, that the white guy did, I can't even remember his name. His first name might've been Dick. It sound, it like feels right. He kind of looked like Bill Clinton, like his haircut. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I felt like it wasn't about being quiet in an evangelical church. It was about getting louder and connecting with everyone around you. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting because I always thought of that loudness as showy and selfish but it's really interesting to think of the way in which it is a tool for connection because other people are shouting and raising their hands and being, I would call it performative, but loud, you know, and to think of that as like, Oh no, this is just a way, you know, if you're at a one direction concert, you could sit back and go, sneer at all of the teenagers freaking out or you could be one of the teenagers freaking out together yeah i don't want to say that it was always i don't want to like make it sound that it was always beautiful and genuine right 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 how many times has someone thrown the bible in your face to make you feel like shit probably you more than me i think i was probably able to blend in you know as a like i assume there's a there's a sexuality aspect here to this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but when you say convert, it sounds like you just mean following around what your family was. Absolutely. Doing. Yeah. Okay. Like I went to CCD and stuff, which is like an after school thing for Catholic kids and yeah. you get your communion and so forth. But I didn't make it that far because my dad remarried and his new wife um, went to this church, Jubilee and Yeah, that's the change. And so what was the what was the belief about the afterlife that you Mm. even if it's not the official line, what what was your belief about the afterlife as a kid? And what is it now? Uh as a kid, it was the clear cut, you know, you're either going up there or you're going down there. But nowadays, um I'm just so uncertain that I don't even, I don't even know what to say. Like I want to believe in, in um, reanimation, (laughs) if you will, not reanimation, but. um, Reincarnation. Reincarnation. Okay. (laughs) Reanimation is like zombie style, right? Well, I was watching this uh, episode of the outer limits. Have you ever seen the outer limits? Yes. It's been a long time. Well, there's this episode where we make contact with aliens and the aliens are coming from a dead, dying planet. And they, the way they exist is they can, they, they're parasitic, I guess you could say, in that their soul can enter a a dead vessel and reanimate it. Okay, but but that's not something you hope for. Well, I mean... (laughs) I sometimes wonder what it would be like to be someone else. Um, But would that be the experience of being someone else? That would be 
you wouldn't have any, if someone else is using your body, do you feel like you would, it would be roommates essentially in your body or what's <laughs> That's your... a good question. Where does conscience, where does consciousness exist? Right? right. Is it, is it in the, the flesh or is it in the soul? Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I, um, I guess I want to believe in reincarnation, but I don't know that I'd want to be like a bug when I come back. Mm-hmm. But maybe I would like, maybe that would be. <sighs> I could see you as a bug. I could see you as a really beautiful, you know, I could, ma- I'm the kind of bug that's a main character of a children's book. Right. Yeah. But th- that bug still only lives a couple of weeks. If that, right. Yeah. Like, what's the maybe. life cycle of a beautiful bug? God, that's really fucked up to think about all the like caterpillars and butterflies we read about as kids being like, this is about a dead, an animal that has since died since he, since he appeared in this, in these pages. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what to say. I will say one thing though. I feel like the people who have passed on that I mentioned from my life, because that's really my connection to death is is the people who who were once with me and now are gone. And I believe that they are still with me, or rather that I can call on their essence or their energy, their spirit, if you will, when I need them. Do you? Do you have conversations with those people? I have. I My grandfather passed away um in april this april this april and he didn't have covid thank you um he didn't have covid but because of covid there was like this long period of time where they couldn't he couldn't even see his family members um but he he passed at home they brought him home with hospice and he passed at home but you know i had to say my goodbyes to him after he died um, from a distance, but I felt him. Do you, do you know anyone who's passed? Yeah. Yeah. I have a, that you were, that you were particularly like close with or connected with. Yeah. Yeah. I have a cousin and an aunt, his mom actually, uh, grandparents which felt kind of rough at the time no i was close to those people but yeah i i know what you're saying for sure yeah i sing a lot of songs that i learned listening to cassette tapes in my grandparents car you know like a lot of the material that i'm doing is these days that our covers are are harkening back to like time spent with some of these people. So they're with me too. I kind of like, like them with me. Like I feel there's these, the couple of Patsy Cline tunes that I do that I know my grandma loved so much. And I just feel like more supported or safe or brave because of that. Yeah. Yeah. 
If you like This Is Your Afterlife, you should go to thisisdavemar.com and sign up for my free newsletter, Hella Immaculate. Every week in the newsletter, I share one, a micro essay about an aspect of creativity or culture, like the creative lessons of Drag Race Thailand or the visionary anti-racism of Hoobastank. Two, a hyper-specific playlist, for example, 90s Beach Xanax or Polo de Don set for 2008 Pitchfork Music Festival after party where I saw Julia Stiles. And finally, a few actions we can take to pour water on our world on fire. Hella Immaculate is a way for me to connect with audiences beyond live venues and across the globe. And it's the best way to learn about classes I'm teaching, podcast updates, eventual live shows, and whenever I'm typecast as a homeless addict again on a TV show set in Chicago. Again, go to thisisdavemar.com to subscribe to my newsletter, Hella Immaculate. As you may know, I'm a DIY operation, so please tell your friends. A hard vouch means everything. Back to the show. This next segment here is funeral planning. And I just want to, I have you thought about it at all? Do you have any requests or demands for how you want either the funeral to go or just mourning at large to happen? Well, so like knowing how the Catholics do it, I do not want a wake. Okay. And I don't want an open casket. I know that for sure, right? I've I've considered being one of those seeds, like being put into a seed that is a tree. Yes. Yeah. I've uh, I find it real creepy, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah, my lady wants to do that, and it fucking, she's it 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 freaks me out, man. As someone who gets so thinks about this stuff all the time, but has found no lasting peace as a result of all that thinking, and she's just like, yeah, I just want to be digested into the mycelium and become a, a a mushroom, and I'm like stop like stop like it it makes me feel like she's asking for that like in that moment <laughs> but but anyway i do know the seed pod trees okay so you like this idea of i like the idea of it and okay. that i think that i like it because i like the idea of reincarnation right i like that mm. there's this thing there's this really beautiful tom waits song called green grass where the perspective is from the dead person under the ground. And the whole thing is about how like lay, lay on the grass above me so that you can be closer to me. Like if you, anyway, but he talks about how there's a tree that's above him now and that he's a part of the tree. And it has always like felt very romantic to me to think that there would be like a, a tree, especially that someone could go to to be with me if they wanted to. Like that they would know that that tree wasn't, that I wasn't the tree necessarily, right? But that I was part of the tree, that there was me in there. But I've known people to spread ashes across valleys and oceans and things like that. That's very beautiful as well. I don't want to be one of those records. Like, have you heard about them taking your ashes and like no. putting it into a record. What? Yeah. Like a musical record. Yeah. No. Look it up. It's very, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> but Jesus. like I do get, I do get 
if people want to. The reason I don't want to is because I know how I treat my vinyl. Uh-huh. And I don't want anyone, I don't trust anyone with my body, my like <laughs> existence vinyl, my eternity vinyl. <laughs> what have you thought about songs as a musician? Are there songs that you would want played or people you know would, you would want to sing them? Or, or, or are you intentionally like, music is my life, I don't want to think about it in my death? There are a couple of pieces by George Gershwin that I think would fit the occasion. I'm not really interested in vocal tracks at my funeral. Okay, okay. (laughs) I feel like it would be extra. I have a couple of friends who've, I shouldn't say this. Um, I'm probably not going to sing at my own wedding and so I don't want to sing at my own funeral. You get where I'm going with this? I like, do, yeah. Yeah. You don't, yeah. Oh, you don't want your music played? I don't really want, no. Yeah, and that I would be really And I certainly don't intense. want my voice playing at yeah. my funeral. Right. Um, I think that anyone who has recordings of that will enjoy them when they want to. It's not like, I just feel like that might be a little too much for people. Like, that's not... At my grandma's funeral, which was beautiful, but at the wake, you know, when everyone's going up to say their goodbyes, the open casket and everything, and they were just playing the all of these Celine Dion songs and Judy Garland songs and all of these like really emotional, I swear to God, it was too much. It was too much. I don't want that. So this show is an outgrowth of my most recent stage show, which is called Feed Wolf Ice Cream. And the premise is we're in the afterlife. And I'm kind of giving the audience an orientation to like what the afterlife is, what it's all about. And one of the things I I say is, is that in the afterlife, you get to fully relive one memory. So drop down into it, experience all the emotions, the physical sensations. You're not stuck in it, but you can relive it whenever you want, however many times you want. It doesn't expire. So if you had to relive one memory, what memory would you choose? Oh, wow. In the afterlife, right? Beyond my own existence. And there's a lot of pressure, right? To pick like the one but it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't have to sift through to find the perfect one. It can be among the candidates that you would choose. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about being outside. I haven't spent a lot of time outside since I moved to Chicago, which was about 10 years. I grew up in California. In any case, it would have to be a memory outside. And the one that comes to my mind now is actually kind of selfish, but I was performing at a very small music festival in Albany, Wisconsin called Postdoc. It's at the Post Farm. So it's like this big farm. And we got to play at this, the smaller stage, which is called the Tractor Stage which is next to this giant field of wildflowers. 
and we played at sunset while all of the crickets and the cicadas were singing in the wildflowers as the sun was setting and it was like the fireflies were all buzzing over the audience. It was one of the most beautiful memories of my life. I think I'd want to relive that. So I guess I'd be singing in my afterlife. And Wow. What band was that with? My current band. I call them the Blue Boys. The Blue Boys? Yeah. Okay. What was the set? Mostly my original tunes and then the couple of Patsy Cline tunes. And this, you know, I do this Loretta Lynn song that I think you'd like to called Love is the Foundation. Why do you think I'd like it? I think it has a similar feeling to uh, the David Bowie tune that you like from uh, Station to Station. Yeah. It has like a really warm, like uplifting quality. You don't perform the Bowie song that that much anymore. That was kind of just that one time, right? I did it a couple of times and that was it. That Because that (laughs) cover was like, it's not even... Like it's maybe 40% of the actual song that I sing. Oh, I know. Because I've listened to the actual song and I'm like, this isn't, this doesn't sound like Andrew singing the, um, I mean, that was a, as someone who has a very intense relationship with music, still probably a top 10 musical memory in my life, I think. That's so sweet of you. I'm glad. I'm so happy. What's the name of the song again? I'm like, for, I, I know the melody. Word on a wing. Word on a wing. Right, right, right. Okay. D- is there a smell that you associate with this post-talk performance? I suppose if you, have you spent a lot of time on farms? I, I mean, there no, are a lot. Of not smells. a lot. I mean, I've smelled farms, but I, not a lot of time. I would say if there is a smell, I remember it's probably the cigarette that I was smoking during my set. I got to, smoke a cigarette during my set. It was outside. It was very when I was still smoking. Yeah. Okay. What were you wearing? What was your outfit? I was wearing this uh, denim, um, these denim overalls that I had bunched up with rubber bands and dunked in bleach for about 20 minutes and so I like had bleached out this this pair of um, overalls I was wearing a pair of cowboy boots and a a Dollywood hat like a Dollywood trucker hat that was bright purple with a butterfly on it (laughs) and like a teal uh, handkerchief around my neck and yeah did the set then feel magical or is it your memory of it that feels more magical? I have had an audience sing with me during a performance, but never had I felt like nature was singing with me or playing with me like I felt in that moment. It felt like a a harmony beyond, you know, I told you early on how much of a control freak I am. Yeah. It felt like the ultimate, like out of my control, like bliss, blissfulness. I mean, anyone who, who longs for so much control is 
going to find bliss in, in no control, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, does that answer your question? It like, totally does. I mean, it also like, I mean, it's very vivid and it's giving me some feelings for sure of just like, whoa, like I, this, I mean, it's, it's so um, perfect narratively that it feels cartoonish. It's like, this is, this is the memory someone would choose. This is, I've never seen that Robin Williams movie, What Dreams May Come, but that's the whole vibe that I imagine for the whole movie of like, if you're portraying a ghost that has unfinished business, that's living the afterlife, that's coexisting in a physical space with living people that you could not like write a better scene. I feel like. Well, it's copywritten. So don't you <laughs> know I'm joking. <laughs> it's um it was it was really really wonderful. And this last question, it's it's hard to find the exact words for it, but the the gist of it is what's your coma? Cuz for me, right I was in this coma and I woke up and it is not a super clean before and after narrative, but it, but there is, it's not super clean, but it was very much a turning point for me. And I'm curious if you have, does not have to be as epic, could be very mundane, but it, but do you have a moment of transformation where it feels like there is a very clear person who you were before and a very clear person who you were after. Yeah, I when I moved to Chicago, I moved with a partner. We'd been together for about a year, and we really wanted to try and make it work. And um, we moved in together. We moved across, drove across the country, moved in together in Boys Town, right above Nookies. Mm-hmm. Um, with his best friend. And when I moved out here, I had kept a journal and I had written all of these different um, things that I had wanted while still living in Portland at the time. All these things I imagined about my life and where I would go and what I would become. And when I broke up with that boyfriend, he moved back to San Francisco And I had met a couple of amazing people in Chicago, namely Chris Tuttle, my best friend. And and I was supposed to move back as well. I didn't have anything other than my friends here to keep me. But I saw such potential in myself with them, with their help and guidance. They were flamboyant. They were fantastically dressed. They were smart. They were charismatic. I had, I had a real awakening because of them. And when I finally got my own place and we painted all the walls, all these different colors, and we put up all this art and I got a piano and I found those journals that I had mentioned and all of these things that I had described, I didn't get until I had met all of these friends. So I guess what I'm saying is like my awakening was it was very much like a coma. I think sometimes for me in my life, love has been a coma. So you'll be in a relationship and it feels 
that sounds like a negative experience. Like you're in a relationship and it feels stagnant or something. And after it, there's a rebirth of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I would say negative only because there was love, which I don't think is ever like a bad thing. Even if it's freezing in amber the rest of your life? You know, you say the rest of your life. I think that the rest of your life is more for me, it was more for me like my art. And that wasn't, that was still going, you're saying? No, (laughs) no. No, that was the part that was in a coma. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it, it isn't, it isn't positive, but I don't know that it's negative. It's kind of a weird thing. I have to get this a little more concise for you, don't I? No, you don't. Because I'm forcing this really black and white thing on you, which is just my default that I have to rage against. But I'm kind of forcing you to say, was it good or bad? And you're giving right. me this very <laughs> true human answer of like, well, Dave, it was mixed. Uh, you know, there were good and bad parts of both of these experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Would I do it again? No. No, no. Would you like, do what again? Right, like, would I enter that? Well, okay. So what I learned from that experience was that the next partner that I had would have to accept me for the art that I make as well. Would have to embrace, appreciate, support my art as well. They couldn't be someone who who I didn't let in on that, and I quite literally didn't let that other person in on any of it. So who knows if he would have accepted you or not? Well, at the end of our relationship, I did one show in Chicago, a theater show, and he came to see it and he didn't have a kind word to say. So I think maybe not. (laughs) Sure, sure. It wasn't just in your head. Okay. Right. Like this is the guy that that said, I don't like when you smoke weed because you become a different person. So don't smoke, you you don't smoke weed anymore. You know, that kind of a thing. Okay. It's like, well, you should probably love me when I'm stoned too. Well, yeah, that's so, and it's, and it's really, everything you're saying is very interesting too, because the experience in that relationship, it sounds like was the most intense version of the introduction conversation we were having of why you hide your art from people you're introducing yourself to because you don't want the worst thing to happen, which is you spend X amount of very intimate time with a person over a prolonged period. And then they say, yeah, this other part ain't it. I don't, I don't like that. And that other part is the part that feeds your soul, you know? So, yeah, no, I mean, I totally understand where you're, where you came with, isn't that negative, but at the same time, it's the reason I moved to Chicago. Like he's the reason that I moved here and I wouldn't have met anyone, including my wonderful boyfriend, Jacob, who we've been together now for six years and I have that relationship with him. So. I wonder if that, yeah. Okay, so last thing, one question, lightning round, is just, 
I just need you to kill one thing. Just anything in culture or daily life that you wish would die. TikTok. Okay. Why TikTok? Uh, I can't stand TikTok. I cannot stand TikTok. I think it's, I think it's toxic. The complaints I've heard about it are, I can't figure it out. Um, I guess that's the big one. What it, what is for those who okay, it TikTok is its own language. It's like combining all things, right? You're 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 doing video. You're using an audio track. You're telling a story. You're using text. Like it's its own language. Do you get where I'm going with that? Yeah. Where like you can. Right. And so there, the, there, there is some really interesting like humor that happens sometimes on TikTok, mm-hmm. but my partner <laughs> likes it um, so, so much that like, he'll be sitting there, you know, while we're watching something or cooking something or whatever, and, you know, flicking through it and it's, it's loud. Like there's an audio element that you have to get to like understand what you're (laughs) experiencing Mm -hmm. but he's taken it to the next level to where the songs that are used on tiktok he has on a playlist that he like plays in the morning when he's like getting ready for work (laughs) just like i can't escape and like all day long the the tunes which are all these earworms you know they're all just like meant to get in your head are stuck in my head like all day long. Anyway, TikTok. Ban TikTok, get it out of here. Delightful, right? He's just, he's just, he's delightful. So that is Andrew Saw. Thank you for joining me and him on this episode of This Is Your Afterlife, episode three. Follow Andrew at Lonesome Andrew on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at This Is Dave Marr. Sign up for Hella Immaculate, my newsletter, which I talked about in the middle of the episode. And subscribe, rate, review. That is it. Thank you. Impossible. You can do miracles. Miracles. You can do them.